Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly McLear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Therapy and Theology. Today I'm really excited to be joined by a friend and fellow writer and author, Suze Fair. Uh, she has recently released her first book, All the Lies I've Loved Before, and she currently hosts the podcast Pants on Fire with her daughter, Katie. Suze is passionate about providing inputs that invite people to explore what becoming the best version of themselves might look like. Suze and her husband, Kelly, have been married for 37 years and have three adult children. Suze is ordained pastor in the Missionary Church USA and holds both her bachelor's in marketing from AU, as well as a master's degree in communications from Purdue. She has been a professor, a pastor, a consultant, and a banker. And while her vocational calling has had her serving both in the church and the marketplace, Suze is also a creative, deeply committed to helping folks find the moments where their stories and the beautiful restoration story of the gospel intersect. Welcome to the show, Suze. I'm so grateful we get to have this conversation together today. And I would love for us to start by just having you share a little bit about your journey personally and professionally and how your story has brought you to this intersection of reconciling faith and our lived experiences. Well, thanks for having me. And hello, it's always good to see you. We haven't seen each other in almost a year, so I'm happy to see your face, even though 
Your listeners will only hear our voice. We get to each other's face while we're recording. Yeah, I'm I'm just really honored to join you. And a little bit about me. Well, I I think the journey for me has been, you know, there's a book that's called Oh shoot, and I'm gonna forget who's but Along Obedience in the Same Direction. And I feel like that's kind of my story is the Lord put me on a path a long time ago. I'm 58. So I, I first encountered, I would say, you know, I would say I first encountered Christ for myself when I was, you know, a preteen. Grew up in a Christian home, uh, you know, like fifth generation. When you look, you know, you'll hear grandparents and great grandparents and all of that. So I'm kind of of that generation that we kind of inherited our faith, right? Like, I'm not sure when was, I remember being in conversations as a 20 something, like, well, do you know the day that you accepted Christ? And I'm like, oh man, I don't, I don't have a date. You know, it was kind of like this idea of we borrowed from our parents and our grandparents and just it took a minute for it to become my own. So I would say probably my faith became mine. Really. I mean, I accepted Christ as a kid, but I really began the process of being a disciple when I was in my mid to late thirties. So, and I was already a pastor's wife at the time. So that was not really, <laughs> nobody was helping. We weren't helping each other though. I will, I will say back then, you know, 30 years ago, nobody was talking about discipleship. Nobody was talking yeah. about, you know, all we were talking about was like lifestyle evangelism and mm-hmm. nobody really knew what that meant. So yeah, I mean, I think my story as a believer and also just as a, person who's living on the planet mm-hmm. has been this journey of the next right thing. And I have a friend who always used to say to me, if you don't know the next right thing, just don't do the next wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been kind of part of my journey is like, God, what are you saying in this season and how do I follow you in it? So I've done lots of things professionally, lots of different things. Cause some of that was in the bio that I sent you, which is kind of crazy, but I'm just, I'm just grateful for the journey that's mine. That's the, the story that the Lord put me on a long time ago and I'm, I'm still, I'm still on it. Yes. Amen. I love that. I, I love the idea of uh, like obedience being like a long journey. And I think there's so much that God like weaves in and through our stories that I just perpetually am feeling like, oh, it's like you're in it. Like you're going to speak of this moment later, but like you're in this. I'm shaping you now. And so I love that. Yeah. And so today I'm so excited to talk about your book. Oh, Susan and I got to be in the same cohort through Punchline Agency to be able to write our book proposals together. And so you were super fast and were able to write yours in the last year. And so I would love for us to talk about the lies that have been constructed around our sense of identity and how they sure. impact our understanding of who God says we are and the way we experience living in freedom in Christ. And so with that being said, Suze, could you share with us just some of the common lies you see that people are believing today? Maybe these are from your book. And what are the barriers that you're seeing to owning our belovedness? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, I mean, I think it's a really important question and I'm not sure that we're talking about it enough. For sure, I hear us talking about it like from, if you think about traditional church setting from the platform, you know, out. But 
in smaller settings, I, I, my longing and one of the reasons I wrote the book, one was to write my story because I, I had believed a lot of lies over the years, just things that just weren't true about me, about my place in the world, about my voice, gosh, my gender, my faith, all of those things. And I've spent probably the last, I would say, probably 20 years just trying to get untangled from those lies. Mm-hmm. And and when I sit with young women now, because I spend a ton of time now just having coffee, because, you know, coffee is life, having coffee mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with, with friends and younger friends. And I would say I hear my story echoing in theirs. Very unique mm-hmm. to their story, of course. That's, of course. that's their journey. But I think one of the lies that that is just pervasive and I, you know, I've never been a guy, so I don't know if guys deal with this, but I know women do like my worth in value is based on what I do. Mm-hmm. Like I have worth, I have. So, and we connect identity into that. Like, so if I'm, doesn't matter what context you're in, right? So if I'm a young mom, if I'm a young professional, if I'm a newlywed, if I'm single, if I'm in the church, yeah. You know, Wherever that might take you, I think we're so tempted to believe that our worth and value is contingent upon production. You know, mm-hmm. what you produce, is it the best? You better be getting better. Can people see it? Uh, yeah. And I, I lived a lot of my life that way. And that, that would, that, that's when I still, you know, th- here's the thing about lies that I think that the ones that we believe persistently and consistently. I think they've been around a really long time. Like mm-hmm. as in Genesis three, long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, the thing that got broken back then was this idea like, well, if God really loved you, mm-hmm. you could have that. You know, if, if you're, if you really were worth something and you had, mm-hmm. I, you had value, like, if God really loved you, you wouldn't have to prove it. And and I think that's where we get tangled because we don't have to prove it. The world is the one that tells us we have to prove it. God is like, I just think you're awesome. <laughs> I think you're amazing. I'm just going to delight in you tonight while you're sleeping. I'm going to sing over you tonight while you rest. And like, just really just that worth and value that's ours because we are his children. Because we are his image bearers, right? So I think that's the whopper. I think for that one, I'm wondering too, what impact do you see that having on people? Because I mean, I certainly struggle with that as a woman and and the idea that God's love would fluctuate based on my, my doing for him, specifically in the Christian context, right? Of like, my discipleship is my basis for words. So when I mess up or when I do things that like, aren't for God, if I don't do things that God's calling me to, therefore my worth is then shifting. Right. And I know for myself, it's created a lot of shame or a lot of like doubt in my relationship with God. But I'm curious to, to what you see being some of the impacting trajectories of this narrative. Well, I think, I think there's a lot of striving happening, Mm. a lot of scrambly, even if on the outside we're calm, cool and collected, which I'm, rarely am. But um, I think there's a lot of scrambling, striving, trying to measure up to some ever moving target, some standard that feels like it keeps changing. 
you know, like the way my body's supposed to look, the way uh, how present I'm supposed to be at church. Like, do we really have to go every Sunday? Like, is that a thing? And should I really be teaching all those classes and working full time and raising my children and trying to be in community with other women <laughs> and being a really good friend, neighbor? Oh, wait, now I have to go reach out to people who don't know the Lord. So I better get on that. I think there's just a lot of striving. And I, I think one of the impacts, Carly, is like we've forgotten how to rest. Yeah. Right. Oh, so true. And, and maybe we never knew. Right. So, mm, yeah, we can only forget something that we That's knew a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I was I was discipling a group of 20 something a couple of years ago and I was teaching them this concept of, you know, from Matthew, I'm the vine, you're the branches and he prunes back even really good fruit bearing branches. He prunes back unto more life, right? So unto more life. And they weren't getting it. Like they were looking at me like I was from Mars or something. <laughs> I don't know. And that night I was praying about that. I was like, Lord, like, how do I articulate this in a way that, you know, will it again, trying to be clever, trying to say it in exactly the right way. You know, me, that was me. And I just sensed the Lord saying, they don't think they need it. Mm. So remind them, it's not about whether you need it or not. It's it's about me telling you to do it. It is in the Ten Commandments for a reason. So I went back then the next week and I just said, guys, I, I know you don't think you need this because you're young, right? And you've got a ton of energy and I mean, you know, the world's your oyster and all that stuff. This is not optional. And we've made it up. We've made rest optional. So I think that's part of the tension. Like as long as I'm striving and hustling and grabbing like this rest piece, I don't have to deal with it. And yet we will rest. I mean, I know you know this, but we will rest. It'll be called recovery then. Mm -hmm. So it's coming. And our bodies tell us, right? Like, right. Like that burnout is real. Yeah. And th th I think that's what the beautiful thing about Sabbath is. Maybe we'll end up talking on this later. Yeah. But like this idea of when we Sabbath, we're actually practicing owning our value apart from what we do. It's so like, beautiful. maybe that's the point yeah. of resting. Yeah. yeah. Like to be able to recognize and delight in the fact that we are loved. And I feel like our culture, both Christian and just secular culture in general has Literally a really difficult grasp on. Oh my word! There, there was this very famous preacher, pastor, whatever that I really I read all of everything that he wrote, and and I still really admire. But he says publicly all the time, "You can sleep when you're dead," and I'm like, man, that is not cool. That you are teaching people like that. I'm only as good as my last great thing, so I better go do another great thing, and and the. And the scripture talks so frequently about a heart that is at rest. Be still and know that I am God. And like there's, there's, that's the only way I know how to do it is to, mm -hmm. to practice Sabbath and to practice consistently, like believing that if I can take time away, God can do more with the, mm -hmm. with the six days that I give him and that he gives me. And then the, the one day that he and I are just together chillaxing. Help that. So I think one of the other lies I believed for a really long time 
And I'm still tempted to dabble with. And I think a lot of people I know, male and female, mess with this one, is that other people get to determine my identity. Other people can say, this is who you are. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. Uh, people can, other people can give me a raise. They can give me a bonus. They could give me a spot at the table. Other people can tell me I'm a great mom. Other people could say, "I would you marry me? I'd love to spend the rest of my life with you. I mean, right? But that doesn't touch my identity. Right. That those things, they're really sweet and wonderful. And I, and I'm grateful. But you know, the flip side is also true. I've, People can fire me and people can yeah. tell me about my mother and where have you been? And I'm a rotten friend. And again, those things don't get to touch my identity. My identity is set and secure by the one who made me. And, you know, the scripture says it's Psalm 139, which is one of the most beautiful passages, but it like you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am kind of convinced at my age, like part of the journey is getting back to fearfully and wonderfully. Yeah. Like, like it's all an invitation. Yeah. Back to fearfully and wonderfully because it, that, that version of us is that I, I'm convinced is the version that God has seen all along. Yeah. And he continues to see and he's, he's shaping that part of me, which is like, gonna be someday perfect. It's not right now, but someday it will be. And so if that's the truth, he's the only one that gets to speak into my identity. And for a lot of years, I let all those other voices be the ones that shaped whether I thought I had worse, whether I thought I was valuable, whether I thought I should speak or be silent, whether we had just so many things, so many things. You don't get to tell me uh-uh. who I am. And God does that over and over and over in the scripture. And I always say to people, like, if you don't know who God says that you are, that's okay. Go look and see what he says about Jesus. Because, you know, the scripture says we are co-heirs with Christ. We, we are siblings, basically. So, you know, in, in, in Matthew, I mean, there's many tellings of it, but in Matthew, in the telling of Jesus's baptism, you know, yes. the the sky opens. And what does God say? God says, this is my beloved son who brings me great joy. And Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He had just been alive, loving his parents, I'm sure, you know, probably building something. But, <laughs> but. You know, God didn't say, I love him because he's the best craftsman ever. He just said, look, this is my son, my beloved son. And I, he brings me great joy. So for me, I often go back to that. Like if, if he's saying about it, Jesus, I bet he's saying it about me. Um, I wonder too, like the impact of that from even a Christian perspective, right? I think that identity, I think it's, I talked about a lot, but not talked about correctly. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, like we sure we talk a lot about it, and yet I think there's still so many people, so many of my clients that come in and still don't have an understanding of what that means. And I think with something that you mentioned, I thought was really good. If like no one can tell us what our identity is, and oftentimes I think even ourselves, like even we can 
I'm, I don't even have that privilege. Like, no, yeah. my identity is sealed. Like it is done, you know, yeah. and I am beloved and I don't get, even if I don't maybe quote unquote feel that way. Yeah. I have to rely on the truth of who I am. And yeah. I, what I, what I tend to see, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this, but I tend to see just so much confusion and, and then so much shame when, when we're either letting others or other things determine our identity. And then therefore our worth, it kind of connects, right? Yeah. Where we then just have one, no idea who we are and we're trying grasping to find it or we're just hiding parts of ourselves because we feel like those parts of who we are aren't going to be accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, Merton has written a lot about true self versus false self. And anything by David Benner, I'm like a huge fan I was just about to say, David Benner wrote a hat yeah. too. Yeah. Benner, you know, all, so I would, I couldn't recommend Benner more highly, but it's that idea of like your essence, your, your true self that fearfully and wonderfully made you. That is, that is wound around your DNA. That is just, right. like it's just there. But I think there's lots of ways that our true self gets covered up. And we start to see that that's the lens that we start to see the world through. And it's, it's not clear. It, it's mm-hmm. not true. It's, uh, it's, you know, something my mom said or something a teacher that's said true. about me or, you know, somebody else. That's, that's why I think you're sensing a lot of confusion. It's like, well, where is the truth? What is the truth? Hey. Like, what, what, who am I actually? to begin to be able to extrapolate yourself away from what the world is saying, what the culture is saying, and to really settle into what does God say? Who does he say that I am? Because he has a thought about that. And mm-hmm. he would love to tell you what is it? Not a big secret. I, it's just you. <laughs> isn't it? You know, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can just tell you what he says, right? People <laughs> like, you're holding on to me. Tell me what it is. I want it. But, but we can't. That's the beauty of the journey, right? Like, that's the beauty of trusting him. And, uh, yeah. I always tell my clients, like, you can't change a belief with a belief. You have to change a belief with an experience. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we have to experience God's love and action yeah. through his word, through his people, through all of these different things. Yeah. So much so. You know, when Jesus comes out at the very beginning of his ministry and he, and, and he's like, okay, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is in Matthew as well. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent is exactly what you're saying. I can't replace, I can replace wrong thinking with right thinking. But, but I think a lot of what we do is we maybe identify our wrong thinking and then we hold on to it. And then we try to, we try to like believe something better you know, do something better, behave better, but we haven't laid down the lie, the the wrong thinking. Like you literally have to turn. That's what repent means. Repent means stop believing something that's not true, turn toward the truth and try to live into that. And, um, and there's action involved in that. Like, like I got to, I got to, I'm going to be somebody different because I'm, I'm laying down a lie, but I've also got to do something a little bit differently because I don't believe that anymore, you know? And I think for me, I tended to cycle just around the issue, you know, well, I don't think God actually is saying that I have to be perfect at blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. 
So I, I'll try to not be perfect. And then I would mess up and I'd have all this shame. Like, well, crud, you know, maybe I am supposed to be perfect. And it was because I wasn't replacing it with, you know, the truth. And the only truth, honestly, Carly, the only truth I know to how to replace lies with is scripture. Mm. That's the only thing I know that helps me truly and forever lay the lie down. It's to replace it with God's word. And yeah, I think that's kind of fallen out of uh, favor in the, like, I don't hear a lot of people talking about hiding God's word in your heart anymore. And you're, yeah, you're significantly younger than me, but there was a whole season, which you are, um, <laughs> where it was like, you know, navigators to set. I mean, there's a lot of things. Yeah. That about. I read for that language in the nineties. Yeah. 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 And quizzing was a big thing, you know. I don't know. If you ever, oh, I grew that. up with like the sword drills, you know. Yeah, man, it's right. Yeah. And we kind of laugh about that, which it is kind of funny. But man, do each of those people know the word. I mean, people yeah. that quizzing, yeah. we're drilling all that. They know the truth. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. My mom did that for me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so it, I think it's the only thing. It's why God says to do it. You know, yeah. you're gonna need to grab it. And in that vein, like, right, when we talk about biblical deconstruction, as I have been throughout this series, right, this idea of how do we deconstruct these assumptions and lies that we've been talking about yeah. with truth. And I know we're going to go there in a second, but I'd love for you to share the third point that you had on oh, just yeah. distortions. Well, I think it's this idea of that my place in the world, a.k.a. like, you know, my contribution or where I bring, you know, where people are like, I'm really glad you're here. That, that feeling like that is not actually what determines my identity. That's just a position that I Mm -hmm. hold. You know, I may be the, I may be the mom. I may be the chairman. I may be the oldest. I may be the youngest. I may be the wealthiest. I may be the poorest. I may be the one with the most letters after my name. I may have no letters after my name, right? I may be the person that everybody listens to when I walk into the room, or I may feel invisible most of the time. None of that, none of that determines our identity. And we as a culture, I think, especially in the West, I don't know about other places. We have, we have tethered those things together. Yeah. You know, she's the CEO. He's the senior pastor you know, all of those things. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And I see this impact, right? I love, I love that idea of like, like what we do isn't, or, or what we have, right? Yeah. What creates value and worth on us because what's the impact of that? Like when I think about my own story, when I think about my client stories, like we are devastated when those things shift in our lives. And, and, and not that they're bad things, like you were saying earlier, like these are good things, right? Yeah. Being a mom, being a CEO, being a pastor, whatever it is, beautiful. Yet if we're connecting our identity to that, mm-hmm. man, it's going to be the thing that breaks us. Because I remember being in college and was in ministry full time, doing ministry during college. And then that that ended abruptly, not to my choice. Yeah. And, and I didn't know who I was anymore because my right. sense of value and worth came from what I had instead of how I was as a person, right? As a bright, I looked on. Yeah. And accumulating stuff is just accumulating stuff. Even if it's positions or vacations or, oh, I don't know, 
you know, followers. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, and culturally right now, it is so counterintuitive to think I, oh, I have emotion about this. I have a worse greater than gold in God's eyes. Even if I have zero followers on social media and nobody asks my opinion about anything. And it, I can't remember the last time that, you know, I mean, your worth is set. My worth, our worth is set and settled and it is so valuable because we, I think part of it that we, this is the part I wonder if we can't really grasp is that we actually are his image bearers in the world. So like his handprint is literally on us. Like it's like he has laid his hand on our chest and said, beloved child, now go, go show them what I'm like. Go show them how I act. Go show them how I love, how I forgive, how all of those things. And yeah, I think we've lost that, that divine connection, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And we get caught up in right here, right now. And <laughs> right here, right now is hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. And creating that own security for ourselves. And the psychological aspect of that is like these contingencies of self-worth. Yeah. When they're all external, right? It just creates one, like you were saying, a lot of pressure. And then also like, I don't know where to go. Right. And, yeah. And that's because we're not anchoring in truth. Yeah, who we are in Christ. Yeah. And so I want to go there. Like, let's sure. talk about how do we, where do we go from here is always the question I've been asking is like, we've had, we've been believing all these lies, these distortions of culture, and even maybe some mixed messages in our church upbringings. But let's go back to truth. And what, what scriptures do you feel like you've used or continue to use to deconstruct these kind of distortions? Yeah, I think that the Psalm 139, which I referenced a little bit earlier, is a huge one for me. You know, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And and I think that just that can be a long journey to be able to honestly say, I know that full well. Yeah. Oh, that, that ending. <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah. it's easy to go, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I know that full well. And yeah, so I think that's a huge one for me. I use it a lot. It's a reference point for me, but it's also something that keeps me coming back to home base. Yep. I really, it, we've referenced it a couple times at Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the mm -hmm. good things he planned for us long ago. So that's even like, it's the end of it, right? Like he, we can do the good things. He planned for us long ago. So this is not about me doing the good things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Even though, even sometimes, like, I want to do that because I think it will, it will bring God glory and it will maybe introduce some other people to harem. And, and he's like, nah, that is not what I have for you, Sue's Fair. That is, he always says my high name. Just people oh, think he always says my high That's good. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other one I was thinking about, because you, you sent me this question earlier and I really love that, but it's, it's that idea of, you know, in John five, that, that whole one, John five, first of all, this is just a really hard passage and I would encourage everybody to study it because we should study hard passages. <laughs> but John five, Jesus is like his full humanity is on display, right? And his full godness, because he's both. He's fully God and fully man. 
But I think the thing that I, the part of reconstructing, so we talked about deconstructing, how do we get back to truth, is I think there there are words that Jesus uses, but there's also the way he lives. So his word and his way, right? Like that. And part of that gets revealed in John 5. Well, the whole book of John, but in John 5, Jesus is saying like, at the beginning, you know, he's, he's healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida, who's been, the guy's been sick for 38 years. And, you know, that guy was believing a lie. That guy was believing, like, if I don't get in that pool when the water's stirry, I can't get well. And <laughs> yeah. Jesus is just like, do you want to get well? Like, I can, I can do that for you right now, man. I mean, <laughs> he didn't really get through that. <laughs> but, but that is, I, I think what we forget. Yeah. Is that Jesus, God sent Jesus to be fully human so he could show us how to do it. He is here to show us, he was here to show us how to be human in a way that is naturally supernatural. Because mm-hmm. that's what he does, right? Mm-hmm. So he's fully human. And then he says in that passage, you're going to do even greater things than I did. I'm like, I was just, what? Like, <laughs> how does that even work? Yeah. You know, but, but I, that to me is the reconnecting from the lie because the lie would say we're limited and scripture says we're it's unlimited like mm-hmm. it is unlimited because we carry around the life and death of Christ's resurrection in us at all times mm-hmm. so if i'm carrying that kind of power around with me at all times we're probably i would probably if i really believed that and i really lived out of that i'd probably be unstoppable I'm just saying. <laughs> That's right. This is a process of constantly putting you back in, right? I love it all. I know, and I forget it so quickly. I forget yeah. it so quickly. Yep. I love that idea of like, like coming back to our divine nature. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the whole message of the gospel for me is been transformed by this idea. I think of the first lies by Satan, right? In Genesis 3, where, where he's like, did God, did God, did, mm-hmm. did he actually, right? And he gives this like throw out of like, but you'll be like God if you do this. And it's like, they were already like God. Like, <laughs> right. We already had that. And then it, when I read that passage, I always think about how often I go chase after things that are, that I think will make me grateful, like God, more, yeah. more value, right? More glory, whatever it is. Yeah. And how the Lord just continues to speak over me. Like you already are. You already are. I've already exactly right. It's about it's about coming back to me. Yeah, and listening to me and that voice. And that yeah. there's no there's no chasing. There's no running. There's no you know pressure anymore. Yeah. So we already are indwelled. And that's so hard. It's, it's yeah. And I think it's connected to what we were talking about earlier. If I don't rest, if I never pull away from, mm-hmm. I I won't remember it. I, I just won't. I will in my humanity. I yeah. will forget and I will forget what it means to walk in the cool of the garden at night, you know, or to walk, to walk by a lake, to walk through the mountains, to walk in my neighborhood. You know, I mean, like, I think if we just are unwilling to do that, um, we will forget and we'll get disconnected pretty quickly from, mm-hmm. from that truth. Yeah. I, I think that's true. You know, my mom passed away about four years ago. And I write about her a lot in the book because we had a very complicated relationship. We loved each other deeply. It was just really complicated. And I have talked to a lot of women over the years that their relationship with their mom is complicated. So mine wasn't like spectacularly or really specially. It was just my story with my mom. 
My mom, I believe, was made to bring beauty to the world. She was a beautiful woman. She knew how to um, dress beautifully. She loved music and art. And she set a beautiful table. And her flowers were always just, oh, the talk of the, you know, I mean, it's just that she was made for that. What happened is she got, it got twisted for her. So that became part of her identity. Like, you know, the table is beautifully set. Everything is on time. Everybody's on time. You know, it became very personal and very, right. Um, and that was my part of my growing up story. Like there were standards that just could not be met. Right. She wasn't able to meet them. So there's no way anybody else was going to be able to meet them. And then, and, and four years ago, she had a massive heart attack and she, she lived another five weeks, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I think I got the truest version of my mother, probably the closest to fearfully and wonderfully made that I ever experienced, that I will ever experience this side of heaven. You know, you know, when I think about that, I think, what am I holding like that? That it shouldn't take me dying to lay that. My, yeah. Well, all the things we've been talking about, like, the things that people say about me or the things I say about me or even measuring somebody else's standard. Like my mom brought so much beauty last five weeks of her life. She was fully present with us. She was so sweet, so tender. Like at one point she held my face in her hand and she said, Oh my baby. She hadn't called me. I had no memory of her ever being that tender toward me. So she did bring beauty at the end, but it wasn't through anything anybody could see. It was what we were experiencing in her presence. Embodiment. Yeah. Oh man. And I just think I, I just want to, I just want to live that way. I just, yeah, I like beautiful things too, but I don't, you know, I, it, it, it just can't be about that. It, yeah. And yet I'm, I, I'm sitting in where I'm recording this with you. I'm looking out, I'm like, man, do I need to weed my flower? You know, I'm having the same temptation. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's, we can do it. We can do it. We just have to be consciously choosing intentionally the way of Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so one of the things that I've been asking is, is this idea of like within reconstruction, what are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves here? Right. I think when we say like, okay, I love the idea of rest and like taking taking time, like being intentional. And in that time that we're taking to be intentional to discover who we are, who we've been created to be, what are maybe some reflection questions that that maybe people could use even from this episode to just start that process? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, like just practical steps or reflection questions that... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can speak out of my own story. What has been super helpful is... I had a couple times with some of these big monster lies and some of them have just, they've just been with me so long that I, I didn't even recognize it as a lie. Right. But I've had to go back so I could go forward. Right. So I remember my therapist asking me one time, when's the first time you remember somebody telling you, you needed to be nothing less than spectacular because that was a, uh, that was a message I heard in my head, you know, like nothing less. Now, part of that was I, I, um, have had cancer multiple times. My first time was when I was a 15 year old kid. 
And so then it just started 15, 25, 35, 45. But in those seasons that I was still living with my parents, there was a lot of nothing less than spectacular. We didn't, we didn't come through all of this to lose you now, you know, like, and they were, they were doing their best. They weren't trying to lay that on me. Of course. So this friend just, this, my therapist friend said, so Wendy, when's the first time? And I, and I, I had to go back and I wrote that girl a letter and I told her like, man, what I, what I wish somebody would have told me back then. And sometimes we can do that for ourselves. We can, we can love on ourselves and we can remind ourselves a younger version because I think that captures our imagination. Like I, I would have believed, I would have believed that if somebody says to me, you sweet little brown eyed girl, mm. just be you because mm-hmm. you're pretty great. Mm. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to get it all figured out. You don't have to be straight A's. You don't have to be the cleverest one in the room. You don't have to crack a joke. You know, you don't have to be, be- all the things that I was started, starting to strive for. Sure. Like. You know, sometimes we can go back and do that for ourselves. So I think that's, that's something I've done. I'm a big journaler. I just journal, 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 journal. And sometimes it's just, um, like a report and sometimes it's a deep dive, but yeah, yeah. the discipline of that, I think has been super helpful. And for me, there are two questions that I've learned to ask. And I think anybody can do this. Like I'm, I, I think pay attention and there are so many more emotions than this, but I would say what is making you mad, sad, or glad? What is getting your attention? I always say it's like, um, like a sweater that gets you walking in the woods and it gets snagged and like, Oh, what is that? You know, what is trying to get my attention? And then as you process that, like, I think what I've learned is ask is like, God, what are you saying to me? And really listen. This, now this takes time, right? This takes being quiet, but God, what are you saying to me? And then once he and I have kind of sorted that, then the next question is, what do you want me to do about it? So I think it's, it's the listening before the doing, which that's been a discipline for me that I didn't always practice. I would hear something and, and go do it and, and not really. So that, and that's part of repentance, which we've already talked about. Like, like God, what are you saying? Like, you know, it's always going to be a word of grace, a word of kindness. He will correct us, but it's not ever going to come out like, you better. Why didn't you? You, you know, it, that's not how he, that's not who he is. Right. So yeah, I think those for me, the, the intentionality about listening and then being obedient is so cool. been super helpful for me. Yeah. I think one that in addition to those, because I, it's so great that the, I'm, as you're saying, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I've explored too. And it's been so helpful that the being before doing mm-hmm. concept has just been, has changed the way I live yeah. and, and see myself in God. Yeah. And I think another piece of that for myself would be like speaking blessing both to myself and others. I was talking to a friend about this the other day. We don't speak exhortation to each other yeah. or to ourselves often. Scripture tells us to like, exhort one another daily, you know? And so my friends and I have like started laughing about this, but there's this experience I had recently where we were sitting around a table and each person had an opportunity to just sit there. And those around them, as we are vessels of the Holy Spirit, were instructed to just, to look at the person and speak a word 
or to to state something that we saw in them, like speak yeah. the words of God over them. And it was powerful. Oh yeah. And and to both to speak it and to to receive it was yeah. such a was such a hard yet beautiful thing. Like it was yeah. was uncomfortable. I think everybody was like, Oh, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. But when I realized I was like, man, why aren't we speaking over people? Why aren't we speaking words of life over people? This is the idea of what prophecy was meant to be, is to exhort one another yeah. in Christ. And and that I think is in addition to seeking the word out and knowing it, when we hear it then spoke to us and and we speak it to ourselves, we're able to remind ourselves that we are a masterpiece, that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. And so Yes. Yeah. Good. So good. Yeah. So good. When our kid for birthdays, we started when the kids were really tiny. We would choose Kelly and I would pray through like, what is their word for that year? And then at dinner, it just the five of us, we would speak that word. So, you know, like, oh, I, I remember one year, Mackenzie's word, our youngest, her word was joy. And then, and then basically you just, there, here's where you brought me joy this year. This is where I see you bringing joy. I mean, just again, that, that, that life. Yeah. I'm not making this up. This is actually where I've seen this happen and you've yeah. impacted me. And, and the kids, you know, as I got older, they would roll their eyes, but of course, you know, they, they still talk about, and we still do it. I mean, we do it for each other, like, because words shape worlds. And so the yes. words we choose, yes, they matter. And, and, you know, and that's why in Jesus was called the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And, you know, so like words matter and what we say to ourselves and what we say to others, a huge potential for life. And, and of course the other side, but yeah, yeah. about life and joy. So for sure. Well, Suze, thank you so much for joining me today and just sharing a little bit. I'm, I know that some of this might be in the book, so I encourage those of you listening, if you liked this little bit, to go out and get all the lies I've loved before and that you would encourage people to go to find that. I know Amazon, do you have any other connections or where can people find you and connect with you? Sure. You can, well, you can start on my website, suzefair.com. But you can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Books a Million. You can get it at Amazon. All those, the usual suspects for ordering. There's a piece at the end of each section that asks you to examine the lies you've believed. You know, what have you believed about your body, your relationship with your mom, your faith, you know, all the sections in the book. So the response back is it's interactive. And I really like that. I, I, my goal was not to just for my stories to be there, but for you to hear your story in my story and then start a conversation about, well, well, crud buckets, I believe that lie too. And what would it mean to, to not believe it anymore? So that's my hope. Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much. And I'm excited for everybody else to be able to read these words and, and connect with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkleer.com. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? 
we have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.